Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhaj. Nice to see you again this week. Today I have Priska Burkhardt, and she is in Switzerland. And uh, Priska and I were introduced by a colleague um, from Forbes, and she is in the tech industry in Switzerland. Uh, so I'm just so happy that you can come in today and talk to us a little bit about leadership in tech. She's one of the co-owners of a company called TechFace. So Priska, thanks for being here with us. Thanks a lot for having me today. So let's ta- let's jump right into why did you get into tech? Like what what got you into tech? Did you go to university and then you kind of say, well, I want to go into tech or how did you end up in tech? Well, actually, it's a kind of a funny story. Um, I started actually off as a medical laboratory assistant here in Switzerland. So I did an apprenticeship, which is quite common here in Switzerland, and then worked on the job for a while and um, then decided to take some time off when traveling, came back to Switzerland. And after having had a taste of the freedom, I didn't feel comfortable anymore in the laboratory because it was everything was like by order, you had to do step by step, you couldn't change anything, which is necessary in this area. But I realized I need a bit more freedom, being able to um, bring in ideas, do things differently. So I started to investigate what kind of opportunities out there. And lucky me, I had a father who was working in tech and he gave me some uh, IT magazines and I was um, going through these magazines and I saw that some companies here in Switzerland were in dire need of tech people. And what they offered was kind of a program where you learned um, programming first, like coding, hardcore coding, and then had an internship with the company with the goal that you get employed. And I thought, sounds interesting I just apply and it's like one of these things I do I just do things without thinking (laughs) and (laughs) so I applied for this and they invited me for an interview and I was just like going there not really thinking what I'm going to do after this so I just applied and and I went to the interview everything went really well and they were quite impressed by my CV by what I have done I had to do a test they thought it was really good and of course we already had the issue there that there weren't many women um, applying for these kind of positions so we ended up being two out of 20 participants of this um, program but yeah so I started the program I Honestly, I had quite a lot of fun coding, although I must say it's 20 years ago. Coding was a complete different story than compared to today, but I had quite a lot of fun. I did my um, internship there and then afterwards I was even offered also a permanent position with the company. So I stayed, but then I also realized to be able to proceed in this occupation or in the tech industry, I need a bit more than this program. And so I, once again, what I did, I reached out to a university and I saw they just started a new course for management information system. And I had no clue about this. And I was just reaching out to them saying, oh, I'm interested. What do I need to do to be part of this? 
And the thing was, they didn't have enough students for the first course. So they offered me to um, start the course without doing the test to get into the course. So usually you need to do like a, a pre-study and the test mm -hmm. to get into the course. But once more, it was me just picking up the phone and, and calling someone and say, hey, what, what do I need to do? And it was, again, pure luck that I was able to um, join and so I, this was then my first study, actually. I did my bachelor's degree for a management information system. And um, yeah, that was for four years. It lasted four years. I um, finished and I decided that I want to work abroad. And I was working for an international uh, finance company here in Switzerland. And they had offices all over the world. And I asked my boss, is there any opportunity for me to go abroad? And I ended up in Hong Kong. So wow. they um, helped me to get a, a position in Hong Kong, which was great. I've never been before and I loved it. And I stayed there. I was planning to stay for two years and I ended up for four and a half years in, in Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing experience. So let's talk about um, the tech industry. And like you said, you were two out of 20. Um, what is the percentage now of females in tech? In Switzerland, we are about 18%, okay. but I think Switzerland is still a bit on the lower end compared to other countries, but we're talking about 20, 22, maybe 25% in certain countries, but no more than that. So still pretty much male-dominated kind of environment. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, leadership in tech. So you're, you know, you've been in a uh, female in, in, in leadership in tech. What are some of the concerns that you ran up against as a female leader in tech that in, I'm sure it's shifted, but that you can kind of speak to that what you kind of dealt with? I don't think it has shifted that much since um, uh, I'm not in the tech industry per se anymore. But of course, I'm, I'm still in touch with a lot of companies and, and people working there. I don't think it has shifted that much. But Still, I think the biggest issue is as a woman, if you walk into a room full of men and you have to present something, you have to stand up for a project or anything, it's very intimidating. And mm -hmm. often you're, you're looked at as if you're not the right person for this position. You're, you don't have what it takes to be a leader in the tech industry. And one thing I experience a lot is um, even today, women are... Um, judged based on their performance and men are judged based on their potential so mm -hmm. I, as a woman in especially leadership position you always have to prove yourself being worthy taking on a leader position while as with men often you saw that someone was promoted to a leader, uh, leadership position because they said he has great potential to become mm -hmm. this leader and that was one of the big issues we are we were and we are still facing. And, and that's a tough place to be because, I mean, so you're saying that's what you've seen or even the people that you're still not actually being in tech now, but working with a lot of female, um, female leaders in tech. So it's almost like you're as good as your last project and there's a different subset of how you're, how you're kind of viewed. And if, if a man maybe hasn't even done um, so maybe something that recently they're still looking at his potential. Exactly. Yeah. So 
let's talk about the glass ceiling then. So clearly there is a, I'm going to say a, there's a very, very sturdy glass ceiling in tech, obviously with a lot of male dominated um, environments, there is that glass ceiling. So what have you seen um, when you were there or even with the females that you, what, what is it that females do now that you see to really kind of not see you know, the blockages so that they can still proceed. Because obviously, I mean, if it's acumen, it's, it's education, it's experience, it's skills. I mean, if you were to do a blind, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about, you know, um, you know, he talked about the white screen when, um, you know, uh, when they were trying to get um, people to lead the orchestras for years and years and years, um, they were, the maestros were all male. And what they eventually did is um, when they, they put the white screen up for the maestros and then, you know, the audition happened. And what had happened, it was a female that walked out from behind a screen and someone said, I think, I believe if I remember reading this right, where's the maestro? And she was clearly the maestro, but they were still thinking that was somebody behind her. And then that started to shift how they started to do their auditions after that. And prior to that, there had really not been anybody in that capacity. So if you look at that example in tech, um, one's performance, one's um, potential, what kind of things have you experienced with females that are in tech that are trying to kind of, um, I'm gonna say move up the ranks or, or go up in leadership? I think what I see a lot, and it's actually the sad part of the story, is um, women become men in these positions. So they start acting like a man, thinking like a man, talking like a man, to really be able to get to a leadership position. Mm -hmm. And I also seen that women who reach those positions, in some cases, I'm not um, putting everyone into the same pot, but I have experienced myself this as well, that when they get to this point, they don't think about their fellow female. Mm. They think about, about themselves and say, thinking like, I've done it myself. I needed all my strength to get to this position. I'm not going to help anyone else. And this is something I unfortunately see um, was happening most probably will be happening right now and I think women who do not do this who are able to really say okay we are all in this together we need to support each other we need to push each other they're much more successful in becoming a leader and building up this network that helps them to really get the step forward that's what they what they need today and makes them more successful and bringing along the women they have they have met on their way and um, recommending other women for certain position or if you see okay there is a leadership position coming up that you can say hey i know a woman she would be perfect fit for this position and she has the right potential to do that this is what we need to do to really bring more women into leadership position as well. So I think that speaks to whole, the whole element of you know, transactional leadership versus transformational leadership. And we know in male dominated environments, it's more about the masculine traits, about being more dictatorial, more autocratic, you know, you know the bottom line. And with women, we bring collaboration, um, you know, we're very, uh, you know, we're into communication, we're able, I guess, again, because the way we're wired to be able to be more intuitive as leaders and, you know, really bring everybody along. But if you're coming against the kind of the traditional um, system, and you're, you're, and there, obviously, you have women with equal capacity, 
right? Like, I mean, I was reading something today, just to highlight, I didn't get to read the whole article that here in North America, that women are, um, men are being beaten out in university at, at high, high levels academically. And now men are trying to find that grounding again. So, and we've known this for a long time. And so obviously women are showing their, their ability academically, um, you know, and they're able to, you know, create those rungs to get up there. So educationally, we know that that there's not a need to, to prove that anymore. Um, but some of these sectors um, still kind of the, the people that are still running most of these tech companies are predominantly male. So with some of the tech leaders that you've seen that are female that don't become, um, I'm gonna use the word autocratic in their leadership. How have you found those women? How, how did they lead differently that allowed the sponsorship and the allyship and stuff like that? What kind of things did they do? Tough question because there aren't that many yeah. <laughs> I have met in my life. And I think what female leaders do is exactly what I said before. They they support other women. They emphasize with them. They show clearly, hey, I've been in the same spot as you are. And this is what I have done. And you can do it as well. And mm -hmm. there is nothing that should hinder you not pursuing a career or a leadership in the tech industry. And I think that's what they do. They share their story. They share their struggle. Mm -hmm. They make everyone aware. It's of course, it's it's not an easy way to go, but we can all do it. And if I can do it, everyone else out there can do it as well. And I think this is this is the most important part of um, being a leader. Of course. I mean, so if you go to, so let's say um, you know, I often think about you have to find alliances with males that um, truly recognize that things have to shift. So instead of going directly against the system that exists, it's about, you know, finding those men in those positions that have wives and have maybe um, female children and they want, they recognize the need, but unfortunately, sometimes reverberating against the old system. And it's, and it's an example and another, um, you know, male dominated environment and I'm, I'm doing a speaking event, I was doing interviews and, um, this one particular uh, leader, female leader in this male dominant environment, she said, you know, it's kind of like you have to have alliances like men have on golf courses. And I said, well, tell me more. She said, well, if you think about it, how many deals get done on the golf course? You know, and I said, many. <laughs> so she said, it's almost like women. And, I, you know, something that I, I want to throw out here for you to think about tech. It's almost like you have to take that concept and have side meetings. Like you kind of would have on the golf course with those, um, you know, men in power that want change so that when you go into the actual from the side meeting into the actual meeting there'd be alliances that would be formed so you can use that leverage to kind of create uh, different decision making. And, I, and she said, you know, she sees it often done in her industry. What do you think about something like that with your industry? It's the same thing. It's, it's same. absolutely the same. Yeah. Yes. I, I think these decide meetings, they're, they're very important and they, most probably they need also to stay. But what we need is, is also that women are being part of decide meetings, that they're not only 
male meetings they're like right. diverse meetings again and what i heard as well is often those decision or discussion happens on the on the toilet and then we have an issue <laughs> because we can't join can't go in there <laughs> no no so at least the golf course is, is a place where we can join as well but we need to make sure that we that we join this this discussion as well and that they don't happen and i think it's important for, for every kind of, of relationship you have that you take yourself out of the normal standard meeting like sitting in an office in a, in a meeting room and discussing it's it will be very supportive to go somewhere else and discussing a deal or a relationship with another company, with a client. So this needs to stay. But what we need to make sure is that everyone is part of this meeting. Everyone is able to go to these um, places. And I think when we talk about diversity, there's one is the, the gender diversity. So there we mm. have the issue with the toilet. But look at the golf part, golf club. Who is, who is a member of a golf club? It's always the rich people. It's, mm -hmm. it's a rich people sport. So you're going to neglect a lot of people who are not able to afford um, a membership in a golf club right. if you have these meetings there. So I think there are a lot of things we need to think about. But I'm, I believe it's important to have the meeting outside of these traditional places to also be able to think out of the box, see different worlds, how people react in different situations. And it helps to get to know each other as well. Until we get to the point where there is a little bit, you know, increase in diversity, whether it's, you know, in female diversity, you know, ableism, ageism, you know, sexism, all those different, or just cultural diversity too. Like um, I work a lot with BIPOC females that are leaders and they talk about sometimes the cultural traditions say around family. So a lot of the, uh, this particular coach that works, that I know very well, and she works with uh, diverse BIPOC women, but they are the type that would go home right after. They wouldn't go for the drinks or, or you know, let's, you know, meet after. So because they have families and they're kind of extended and traditional. So she, she would talk a lot about coaching them to say, okay, you know, maybe other females might be able to, you know, kind of go and have those situations. But how is it that you can try to recognize that there's other ways that people can recognize your capacity, right? So you're not going to be able to make the social kind of maybe after, but um, being able to verbalize that I do, you know, I'd like that opportunity, or I have done this or whatever. It's also people learning to speak up um, about ability and, um, you know, which is something that she was saying that that's something that she's found that a lot of women of uh, color um, would have difficulty with. Now, with with tech with women, how are they in speaking up if they were um, to deliver a message that's a little bit diametrically opposed to the male model? How do, how is it received? Not well. <laughs> not well. Not no. well. Don't speak up. It's you. You've been. I mean, I experienced this myself and you've been seen as very aggressive if you speak up as a woman in in the, in the tech industry and it's it's really we need to teach everyone in this concept or in this setting about being able to speak up 
giving the space for everyone to speak up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you also need to understand that and it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, you might have a different approach to speaking up. Mm -hmm. So you might not be the one person who sits in a big meeting with 10, 15 people and voicing their opinion because they're very introvert. So maybe you're a person who needs time to digest and think about a certain situation or a certain proposal before they can speak up. But we need to give those people the room and the possibility to speak up. And I think this is, we, we're talking a lot about diversity and a lot of companies are saying, yeah, yeah, we want to have diversity. Let's, uh, let's have um, 25% women in the tech industry. Let's do 50, 50% leadership. It's nice, but only doing this doesn't bring us anywhere because the next step is then being able to include these people as well. And as you just mentioned, if you have, if you say, okay, we hire now more um, women who are mothers. Yeah, it's great, but you need to include them. So you can't go for drinks after work anymore and discuss important business issue because those mothers won't be able to join you because they have other obligations. Mm -hmm. And this is the step that needs to happen right now that, okay, we realized we need the diversity. We, we, we know how we can maybe reach this diversity, but how can we keep the diversity by building up an inclusive workspace where everybody has the opportunities to speak up, to be themselves, um, give them the space to maybe just speak up after meeting, for example, or um, discuss certain topic at certain times where the, when they are available and not just when it was used to be after eight during the, the drink in a bar. Right, because like, I mean, uh, diversity of thought brings creativity. And of course, in, in your industry, guess what? That's the elixir, right? You want that optimal, like you, you said, to your point. And I mean, obviously, I would assume that a lot of people in tech, they're very, um, you know, STEM, the, the STEM, um, you know, left-brained, but again, you know, maybe more introverted, more um, analytical, uh, you know, they'd have to different personalities would be thinking through things differently. But if you, you know, if you're having um, younger women, um, different cultures, different ages, like, the, the, like you put that in a, to a blender and you're going to get a pretty interesting mix. But again, you know, it's about systems recognizing, you know, the affinity to, we all want to feel comfortable. <laughs> That's a human trait, but in that homogene homogeneity, um, you're, you're, you're keeping away yourself from creativity, um, you know, a different perspective, not thinking something through. And we know that a lot more companies are realizing that today more than ever, because of course, especially with competitive environments like uh, tech, right? You know, things are moving so quickly that you need those people that are, you know, thinking in different ways or putting something together that you would never think would go together. So uh, definitely, I think it's it's something out there. So uh, for women with tech, and let's say what young woman is listening and they're like, okay, Prisca, what are you telling me? <laughs> I want to get into tech. I love it. I And I'm a red brain. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm floored by people like you that can code and, 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 and you know, the, the process people, because that's my, that's my lowest uh, quality for, but, but clearly for women that are looking to get into tech, what kind of guidance would you give them about getting into the tech world? Because they love it. It may be still where it is, but they love it. What kind of guidance would you give them? I think it's, it's quite important to find your tribe. So if you want to get into tech, find a group of women, could be also men, that can support you in your way to tech so that they give you um, 
the, the, the keep your back that when you doubt yourself, your abilities, that they can tell you, no, no, you're good. What you do is okay. Don't get intimidated by someone who tells you otherwise or someone they don't even verbally tell you. They might even tell you with their body language. And it's just, I think it's quite important to have your tribe where you can exchange your thoughts, where you can exchange mm. experience as well. And make sure that they support you through your career and your way and connect with women within the same industry, within your company as well. And another point is also that I strongly believe in a lot of cases, and I even ca caught myself doing this, we have those unconscious bias and we use them and no, unless somebody tells us what you just said or what you just did, was your unconscious bias we're not going to recognize them mm -hmm. and i feel it's it's perfectly okay if you for example if someone in a meeting tells you oh well you might not be able to do this that you can clearly say well why would you say something like this that you understand where is this this person coming from is it their unconscious bias is it maybe that you haven't spoken up that you want to do something or that you are able capable of doing something just to find out where where is it that this doesn't happen and i think it's okay to ask the question of course in a in a very open friendly manner not attacking <laughs> no no don't 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 uh, come back from the old brain where you're reacting but you might be thinking it but is it how do you get the skills to say well, help me understand what have I demonstrated that makes you believe that I don't have capacity, right? Versus being reactive to your point, because if you're feeling kind of judged all the time as human beings, what are we going to do? We're going to protect. We're going to want to, you know, um, and sometimes, yes, we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. Um, we're going to want to, to, you know, stand up for ourselves. But again, it's learning the professional decorum to be able to answer and, and recognize. And then if you don't overreact, be able to go to that mentor or that ally to help you along the way to say, when I was in this position, this is what helped me. And maybe you need to think about this or, and, you know, those men, mentor mentee relationships are so, so significant, you know, in lots of, I remember when I was in corporate again, um, even though in health and wellness industry, I was quite young. I was in my twenties and sometimes female executives were the most difficult to deal with. Right. And I'd be like, did I do, what did I do? Like, there's no, but I think to your point, they had been through a tough time all the way up, right? And which was, had nothing to do with my tenure, but they were like, I had to do it. So therefore you have to do it versus saying, I had to do it. How can I help you? Because I know mm -hmm. it's a different time. So I think that whole collaborativeness as females, I think we have to keep, we have to think, you know, if I'm mid, I'm mid career now and there's an, another executive coming up, you know, that person has, um, I can see their struggles, they're in a different stage, even to have a conversation with that person, um, just tell them, you know, you're doing okay, it's just a tough stage. I think those those are steps that we all can take as, as uh, females along the way, because we've all kind of been there um, and, and done that in a way. So for the leaders listening that want your females to stay and you want your diverse um, environments, what kind of things would you suggest that leadership at least potentially think about or maybe things that they need to really start to implement so that they can um, attract and retain uh, top talent? Mm -hmm. 
there is a saying that you you need to invite those to your table to the to the decision table as well but that's just the first step the second step is to listen to the different talents on the table the decision table as well and i think this is what needs to uh, to happen right now and for leaders who want to keep their um female tech talents it's it's really just ask them what is it that you need to be able to do the job of a leader or this this leadership job and just to maybe it's something very very simple that they say hey look i have for example monday night is my night with the kids i this is i want to be able to leave at 5 p.m on on mondays and please stop doing the team meeting at 4.30 on Mondays because we overrun all the time and I can't leave. So it's, it's very simple, small things. But I think it's very important to, to really talk to them and say, what do you need right now to be able to, to thrive in your position? Because we've seen through the pandemic, we can adjust to new situations and we're all able to adjust. It's just sometimes yes. we are standing in our own ways and being able to understand what do people need and how can we adjust everyone in a team, for example, that everyone gets what they need to be at their best would be, would be for sure the first step. And the second part is don't make assumptions. Um, never, ever make assumptions. It, it's the thing like, I'm, I, I'm not a mother, but... I'm assumed that I will have kids one day when I was younger. It's just like, yeah, you're, yeah. you're a woman, you're going to have kids. So um, we are prepared that you leave the company for a certain amount of time because you take care of kids. And they never, I mean, it's, it's this assumption. And even if it would be the case, why does it interfere with my career? It doesn't at all. But there could be other situations that we just feel like, oh, no, she never wants to do this anyway. But did you ask this person if she really doesn't want to do this or not? And I think um, we have this, this assumptions brought to us over, over our lifetime. And the best way to avoid them is just ask the question, what do you want? What do you need to be well, your best? Right. And, you know, one thing that I can think of when I was in corporate, I was a young mom. And sometimes certain things would be um, on a team would be given to people that didn't have children. Um, and I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> okay, I, I, I also have a family, I get that. But those other people that didn't have families that they also have a life. And I could see it from the other side of it. Because, you know, if I'm, a, if you're accommodating for me, because I'm a young mom, why is it that that person that doesn't have a family doesn't mean that they need to shoulder more of the responsibility on the counter side of it, I could see it. So I think you're right. It's kind of like, you know, you may be leaning on people that are quite capable. And then if they don't speak up, they, they're going to burn them out too. And they're going to, they're going to use their feet and go to someone that's going to respect their value too. So it's, I think it's, your point is opening up the communication and understanding needs because every person, you know, the assumption could be, um, you know, because say I'm Brown, that there's certain things about me that you don't know. You don't know about my culture. You don't know about my family. You don't know about where I grew up and what my values and beliefs are to really kind of get to know people at some level so that you can make the best decisions. Um, because if we all feel like we're worthy and valuable to that point that I was talking about earlier, then we're, we're all going to, we're going to bring our best um, foot forward, right? <laughs> we're absolutely going to do that. Priska, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and I, I hope that, 
you know, the leaders listening really kind of think about it and think as we're talking about, um, and a lot more women getting into into STEM. That's the thing. <laughs> My brain's not wired like that, so I get, don't get it. And I'm hearing about coding. I'm like, how? Oh. But a lot more women are getting into these fields. So we have to accept that that's going to be reality. We're going to have to maybe uncomfortable as these changes come about, but really it's in the best interest of what we know is happening out there um, in the mostly predominantly male-dominated uh, environments. So... Priska, if um, people are wanting to have a conversation um, or they wanted to consult, she's in Switzerland. I would love to, um, you know, get over there at some point and visit with her. If people are wanting to reach out or, or connect with you at TechFace, what, uh, where do they reach you? Um, you can reach me best on LinkedIn. And then you can also sign up for the newsletter on our website, TechFace. And um, if you do so, um, we usually send out an automatic email where you can book a time slot with me so we can further chat about struggles someone has or if they need advice or just want to give some feedback, some inputs. I'm more than happy to exchange as well on a personal level. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for your time. So what am I walking away with? Um, with diversity, um, you know, it's the possibility of collapsing those silos that exist. Do not assume that you know um, what is going on for someone. And the more you're able to have those conversations, um, the answers are right in front of you. It may be different what you're hearing, but ultimately you can really listen and adapt um, to make changes for the people that you work with. And ultimately you're gonna gain um, individually and collectively as a company. So again, um, if you're needing any um, support around authentic leadership with yourself as a leader or your teams, uh, just reach out to me at chatwithroxanne.com and we can jump on a call um, and go from there. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.